when we see these events, Paris, the Sinai, and Beirut, in our own land where there is disintegration, where there is murder and mayhem and horror and surprise. I'm always surprised. I would remind you that you are the salt of the earth and that you are the light of the world. What I want us to think about today, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 20, and if you have your Bible, you, you might uh, be blessed to have that open in Luke chapter 20, because we're thinking about how important it is for you to be here, for you to be here today, for you to be in this place, in this moment. The world is full of pain. And God loves the world. And you are his instrument for addressing the pain that is in the world. What an opportunity it is for you to be who God has called you to be. Is it a battle? And I think the answer is yes. And we're going to hear so much about battle. I want to remind you of the way of Jesus and how he fights, how he lives, how he dies, how he gives himself away. Because that's our way. And it is more powerful than sometimes the world would think. So here we are in Luke chapter 20. And it begins with Jesus in the temple. I think, that's a, I think that's significant. He is in the temple, and he is teaching. He is telling the good news. What is he saying? I always wonder that. You know, when, do, you, do you read the scripture that way? Do you, do you look at that and say, well, Jesus, here's Jesus telling the good news. Your NIV would say he's preaching the gospel. And you think, okay, what's Jesus saying? You know, sometimes we hear Paul preaching the gospel and we have an idea about what that is. But what is Jesus? What's he saying? You have an idea, I know, because you've read some of the rest of the gospels. You've read some of his preaching. What he's, what he's very likely saying is, it's a whole new day. You think the world has gone crazy. You, th- you, you think that you are oppressed. You think that the Romans are in control. You even think that you're getting it right. You're, you're in the middle of this uh, experience of, of even worshiping God. And you think you're doing it right. And here Jesus comes and he says, you know, let me introduce you to how it really works. So he's preaching, he's telling them, and he's doing more than telling them because he's also doing something and is yielding some aggravation. So the authorities come and ask Jesus a question. They ask him, here the authorities in the temple, I just want to keep you located. The authorities in the temple come and say, by what authority are you doing these things? (laughs) 
And Jesus, you know, he's just so quick to give a straight answer, right? You know, when you read the Gospels, you see when Jesus is asked a question, he just says, yeah, this is, what, this is where the authority comes from. No, no, no. What Jesus does is he says, let me ask you a question. You know, John, John the Baptist out here, he's not in the temple, by the way. Jesus is asking a question. He says, the baptism of John, was it of God or is it of man? They have a little huddle up. It's like this uh, advertisement where uh, they're having the discount double check and, you know, the refs are checking it out and they forget that the mic is on. (laughs) You know, I'm wondering, they're being overheard by God Almighty. They're having a little confab over here and saying, well, you know, if we say this, then the crowd's going to be against us. If we say this, he's going to ask us, why didn't we obey? What's John doing out here in the wilderness? And I will tell you, he's baptizing. What's he baptizing for? It's kind of a Bible quiz question. Some of you know. He's baptizing for the forgiveness of sins out in the wilderness. Do you know where these people who are the authorities in the temple, where do they think that the forgiveness of sins happens? In the temple. So here's John out here disrupting their theological notions about how it all really works. And, and Jesus is putting them on point. And they refuse to answer. Because they're stubborn. I mean, that would never be us. We would not be stubborn at all. So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. And this is the text. This is really the text out of which uh, we launch this conversation today. It's in Luke 20, beginning in verse 9. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and leased it to tenants and went to another country for a long time. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants in order that they might give him his share. But the tenants beat him, sent him away empty-handed. Next, he sent another slave. That one also they beat, insulted, and sent him away empty-handed. He sent a third, and this one they also wounded and threw out. And the owner of the vineyard said, what will I do? I will send my beloved son. And you can already hear, you know what's going on, right? Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they discussed it among themselves and said, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Heaven forbid. But he looked at them and said, What then does this text mean? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. Then the scribes and the chief priests realized that he had told this parable against them. They wanted to lay hands on him and at that very hour. But they feared the people. Well, so you get it, right? Um, they're stubborn with God. They've rejected the prophets. They've killed the prophets. And then God is going to send his very own son. And on some level, you're listening to this parable and says, you know what this is really about. It's about, it's about the rejection of the Jews and the inclusion of the Gentiles. And you wouldn't be wrong. But I don't want to go there. That's not what I want us to think about. What I want us to think about today 
is God's share. <laughs> See, this is a sharecropper story, right? How many do you catch? Do you catch on to that? This sharecropper story. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about sharecropping. I don't. I'm, I'm not much of a farmer. Um, you know, farming in city. This is Paul Quinn College. They, they sometimes you can find a farm in town. Um, but sharecropping, it really grew up in, uh, in our culture in the American South post-Civil War. You, don't, you can't afford to buy the land, so you go to the landowner and you make a deal. And here's what, here's what the deal is. Here's what it kind of feels like. Um, you cultivate the land. So you, you sow your seed. You pull the weeds, you fret over it, you pray over it, you harvest it, and then you turn most of it over to the landowner. Everybody that I know wants to be a sharecropper. That's just exciting work. Aren't you excited when you feel like a slave in your own work? I mean, you, you never feel that way, right? Where, where you're doing all the work and somebody else is getting all the produce, somebody else is getting all the glory. You know what we do? What I think, I think very often, we really resent being the tenant. We, we don't want to be the tenant. We, we want to be the landowner. We want to be the boss. We're addicted to being the boss. Even when we're not the boss, we want to pretend we're the boss. But here's what I wonder. I wonder... What's God's share? If this, in this story, in this story, if, if God is the landowner and there is produce, what is the produce and what's God's share? That's what I wonder about. How could they have gotten it right? Well, so that's kind of where we're going. Charles Seibert was a teacher and a mentor for me, and he introduced me to the trouble making Baptist preacher by the name of Carlisle Marnie. I've mentioned Marnie to you before because he just kind of has captured my attention. Marnie preached a sermon that I listened to and just found to be so wonderful. And the sermon, Marnie died in 1979. The sermon is called Thanks Be to God. And Marnie's got this big, huge voice that preachers wish they had. And he's got this southern drawl and this troublemaking manner to himself. And here's some of what Marnie says in this lesson. And it's really a lesson about why did you come? All right. Why did you come here? Remember, that's kind of what I want to get at. Why? Why are you here today? Week after week, you come. And why? Marnie says... You have an appointment. You're expected. The eternal may be encountered. You've come to unchoke, to bring into the altar what is due. What's the point of our coming together or being together, Marnie says? You didn't come to get anything. We've come to do our thanks. We've come to do a thanks. There is no emptier thanks than a do-less thanks. The reluctant doer is a reluctant thanker. He does not know his benefactor. They hold cheap the gifts they've received. 
This may be the deepest crime, Marnie says. We do not do our thanks. No one can do it for us. We have to do it for ourselves. We've come to respond, to render, to render some signal service to show our thanks. And then he starts talking to me. He says, you can't fix it with preaching. Preaching never was too good except here and there. Remember, he's a preacher. He's preaching and he's telling you this. I think that's important. He says, the complaints have always been greater. Preaching never was as effective as preachers have thought. It never was especially important who the preacher was. It never was as consequential. One saving grace for preaching is that it contemporizes contemporizes the gospel if it's any good. It turns a once upon a time into a now. Preaching won't fix things because there's so many ways to lie when one preaches through innuendo and cliches and avoiding subjects. By being a monumental bore, to turn it into a dull thing is a stupid, deadly lie. And I go, yes, that's right, that's right. If it, doesn't, if it doesn't bring you into this place to remind you that you've come by an appointment of God, that every time that God speaks, he calls people into a place, that he blows the trumpet in the wilderness and calls Israel to assembly. That he would tell the, the early Christians to not neglect the meeting together. Why? Because you have an appointment. Because you've come to hear a word, not not from the preacher. Preaching's not going to be a substitute for a spiritual life. The, The spiritual life is going to emerge, not just in this moment. There's going to be some very sacred things that happen in this place. But it's going to tumble out from here into the other six days in remarkable ways. That's why it never was as important who the preacher was because you know each other and you love each other and you hang on to one another and you come here to hear some word of hope from God. We've come to set ourselves on the altar. He says that we come to unchoke You know, I heard some of you in Bible class today telling truth. When do you get to tell truth? It was church in Bible class today, Chuck. Sometimes in this assembly, there's a handful of us that get to do some some talking. But what you've really come today to do is unchoke. We're going to unchoke from several things, too, by the way, I would say. Some of it is going to be the poison that is in our heart and in our minds that is holding us back. It's self-talk. Do you talk to yourself? Is there a, is there a voice that's going on inside of your head? Is it sometimes a limiting factor? Is it sometimes the voice of the accuser accusing you day in and day out saying, you're not worthy, you're not powerful, you can't do this, you're in over your head? Or is that just me? 
to come and unchoke from the poison where we're seeking to satisfy ourselves rather than to find some satisfaction in the gladness of God. Sometimes it is to come and unchoke from the too much. Do you have too much? I'm an addict. I like to say that my addictions are fairly benign. But every time we move, and Sandra has put up with me in several moves, we move, there might be 40 boxes of books that move with us. And they're lovely and they're important and I want them. How many of them am I going to read again? I keep buying new ones too, by the way. And I'll have four or five going at a time. I'm worried about the old ones. They are lovely on the shelf, but why are they there? Now, that sounds fairly benign, right? At some point, our children are going to have to manage uh, some books and take them to the library. uh, They're just going to have to give them away. And you know, somebody could have been reading them while they were still somewhat contemporary. They could have been given away. Do you have too much? Do you have too much? We call it a blessing when we've got a lot, right? Do, do Do you call it a blessing when you have a lot? I'm thinking every time that you are desperate to ensure or shelter or protect, you ought to call it into question. And you go, oh, you've gone to meddling now, haven't you? Because you might insure and shelter and protect. And some of you say, hey, I'm helping people shelter and I'm helping people insure. You get out of my economic well-being. And I'm going to say, I understand. I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just wondering about us unchoking. To be a little more full of breath. A little more full of room. And then he says that we've come to do our thanks. You know that thanks, that's Eucharist. Eucharist is one of the words that's in the middle of our language about the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians 11 and verse 24. And when he had given thanks, Jesus, and broke it and said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, here's what I wonder. I think sometimes we think eat this and drink this. When we hear do this, we think eat this and drink this. And then we really know better also, right? It's much more than that. It's more than eat this and drink this. What is it then? What is this? He took this bread and gave thanks. This is something that is not only symbolic and is it full of ritual? And the answer is yes, but oh my goodness, I want to speak to ritual here in a moment. It is... To participate in the body of Christ. When you're taking a little bit of that bread and you're eating a little bit of that bread, what you are doing among many things is you are participating in the body of Jesus. Now, does that mean that you're participating in the body of Jesus that lives and breathes here at the Skillman Church? And the answer is, well, yes. Are you participating in the resurrected body of Jesus that lives for the sake of the world? And I would tell you, oh, yes, absolutely. 
that you are declaring in this moment that you remember who you are, that you are the presence of Jesus in the middle of a concert hall in Paris when the bullets are flying. Who would you be in the moment is the question. And you don't have to be in a concert hall in in Paris. You could be teaching fourth grade in Garland, Texas. And it can be almost as hard. Participating in the body of Jesus, participating in the life of Jesus for the sake of the world, it is joyful self-sacrifice in the hard places where it really happens, where suffering really occurs. Here you are participating in the body of Jesus. And the cup? To participate in the blood of Jesus. It's interesting to me that it is a cup of wine. Don't you? Don't you find it interesting? It's, it's, it's multivalent, what I think is. It means a lot of different kinds of things. Sometimes it's sweet, isn't it? Isn't it sweet? In Scripture, wine can be gladness. But it is also... Have you ever had it sometimes when it was bitter? Because sometimes I think it is participation in the blood of Jesus that is graceful and joyful, but is also willing to be poured out. It is to participate. So he took the bread and gave thanks. It's Eucharist. We have come to do a thanks. And it's a thanks doing that is the ongoing work of work of Jesus in the world. And it's more than that. I appreciated the communion uh, devotional today because uh, sometimes we do things that are separate and apart. We say, okay, now we're going to come and and we're going to have the collection as if it wasn't worship. It's just expedient. We're going to facilitate the institution. I'm going to say, no, 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 no. What you are doing in the contribution is every much, every bit, a commitment that says, you know what? Here we are, a group of Christians it all began with 12, too, by the way. I want to tell you, if you think you're small, if you think you happen to be the church in Philadelphia, you don't have much strength. And I want to say, that's certainly not skillman. <laughs> you just look around among yourselves and think about the talent, the skills, the ability, the heartache, the recovery, the, the wonder that is in this church. And say, are we strong? And, and that spirit of God that lives within you, are we strong? Who could skillman be for the sake of the world? I see this worship center I see the the threads of your ministry reaching out from this place that encompasses these neighborhoods that revitalizes East Dallas and South Dallas and is a beacon of hope and truthfulness for the sake of the world. If you can imagine that, what if we put our funds together and said, let's do that for the sake of the world? I could stop right there. But I'm not quite done yet. Because I want to think about... I want to think about this sharecropping idea and first fruits. Remember, we're thinking about what is the produce and how much is God's share, right? I mean, that's what I'm thinking about. When I think about God's 
share. Psalm 50 and verse 8 through 10 is pretty interesting. Listen to these words from the psalmist. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every wild animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, it's not because their worship is bad, right? I mean, their worship is faithful. They're bringing lots of bulls and goats, right? So they're doing it. What does he want? What does he say? Those of you that are literalists, you know, I, was, I just love this kind of verse for this because we say, okay, uh, if the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God, then what about the cattle on hill 1001? Is that one mine? How much is mine? What I want to say is that's not what he is. All of it. You want to think about even when you get to Revelation about a thousand year reign, I'm going to tell you it's all of them. It's all of them. A thousand in, in Hebrew thought is all of them. What's God's share? I think you know. And then we think, couldn't we just be generally generous and let that be our thanks doing? Because some people are saying, and this is what really works in our culture out there. People say, I don't really need to go down there. I don't need to be a part of the mission of the Skillman Church or any church. I'm not really called into the community. I'm missing my appointment. I'm brushing that off. I think that's old-fashioned nonsense. I'm going to say, you wouldn't be surprised <laughs> that I would say, no. There's a reason for you to invite your neighbors to come. And I will tell you, that's the only way that Skillman will get to where it needs to go. It won't be because there's a good marketing scheme. And I hope there's a good marketing plan. And we ought to, we ought to market with all of our might. But you know what? It won't be because the staff or the elders are inviting people. It won't be because you're so wonderfully friendly at the door. Even though I, I am marvelously impressed that you are welcoming at the door. It's going to happen because you're on mission, you're on point, and you're inviting people to come along and join you. That's what will change the game. But people say, couldn't I just do this? Couldn't I just be a good person? Couldn't I just be generous? Can I do my thanks doing out there separate and apart? Well, okay. But I think the answer is no. If it's a matter of first fruits, then the answer is certainly no. If God's made an appointment for you, if God is asking you to unchoke, to be unselfish, to not be the one who is making the plan, the answer is no. To do your thing, thanks in this community. To say thank you is important. That's important. To do your thanks. That's more. And it's full of drama. The passage that I'm thinking about is from Deuteronomy. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. I want, I want to, I want to, I'm going to move right up to this point. Deuteronomy 26, verse 4, the priest shall take the basket. You're bringing a basket, by the way. And you're setting it before the altar of God. And then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father. That you're in Deuteronomy, by the way. 
they're a little bit removed from Abraham. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation and powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery and toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt. Not like 400 years later, right? Living it is the now. The question is, have you unchoked? Have you come for your appointment? Are you in the middle of a thanksgiving? Is it worship? What's in the basket? I think you know that it's you. And how much is God share? And the answer is all of it. All of it. Your poverty, your riches, your light, your dark, your woundedness, your healed nature, all of it. Your capacity and your weakness, all of it. It belongs to God and you say, here am I, I am at your disposal. And God says, you have made room for my spirit. We will rise up and do remarkable things. Because you will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And you have the power to change the world. There's no emptier thanks than a do-less It's to live out the implications of your baptism. For you to be a resurrected person. For you to make room in your heart for the Spirit of God to live within you. You'll have to unchoke to make room. Is the future bright? Yes. When you unchoke and I unchoke and when we set ourselves as living sacrifices upon the altar of God and when we mean what we say, that's what makes ritual powerful. You know that from weddings, funerals, hugs and smiles. When we mean it, the ritual has great power. Would you? Will you? This is not an annual thing, this thanksgiving. This is every day. Unchoke. Let the power of God live within you. And let's change the world. If you need to give your life away today, and you do, Let your heart be full of thanks doing. Maybe you need to come as we stand and sing.